Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Mike Stafford here, the Portable Pastor, bringing you another teaching from God's Word. Got my cup of coffee looking out the window. It is an absolutely beautiful day here in Clover, South Carolina, but I'm ready to get into the Word. How about you? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Unless you're driving, then keep your eyes on the road and just listen. Now, the first four Beatitudes that we looked at, they dealt with the inner qualities of a man. And the fifth one that we looked at dealt with showing mercy. It's, it was the first of the Beatitudes to address a, an outward behavior. Today, we're going to land on that sixth Beatitude. And at first glance, it seems like another inward quality. But when we read it in the right complex, we, I mean context, we find out that it also includes um, a behavior to be avoided. So it is, it is an outward teaching as well. So let's look at this context first. All right. So Israel was in a, in a troublesome, needy situation. I mean, think about it. Physically, they were under Roman rule. They were, they were mistreated all the time and the taxes were being taken away from them. Many found themselves in, in financial desperate situations. And the most serious bind though that they were in is that they were feeling, they were feeling the full effect of the, the nation's legalistic religious practices that were being handed down by the Pharisees. They had received the Mosaic law thousands of years earlier. And in that Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible that we have now, they they had those teachings by Moses. Moses wrote those and it included all of the rules laid out by God and that included the, the Ten Commandments. Now those Ten Commandments were a part of a larger set of rules. In fact, there were 613 of those rules. This is what PursueGod.org has to say about this. While following 613 commandments would be hard enough, over time, Jewish leaders began to slowly add to these laws in the Mishnah. The additional teaching is an, an ongoing compilation of sermons and sayings by Jewish rabbis meant to interpret the original Mosaic law. So the original intent of these additions was to clarify the law, but it ended up adding many layers of complicated regulations. So for the Pharisees, they not only tried to follow the 613 commandments, but they literally added thousands of new commandments that were created just to clarify those original 613. For example, for example, in the Mosaic law, the Jews had to keep the Sabbath day holy, right? That, that's in the, in the Ten Commandments. And that meant that Jews were not supposed to work on Saturdays. They were supposed to rest. They were supposed to commune with God, spend their time worshiping and, and spending time with God. Now, the Pharisees created 39 separate categories just to give us what work meant. Okay, they created these thirty-nine categories, sort of to define it, and they were they even some of them had subcategories. So to follow the one rule of not working on the Sabbath, literally there were thousands of sub rules to follow, including how many steps you could take and how many letters you could write. All these crazy things that were added to it. So over time, this religious system became so complicated that it it just exasperated the Jews. 
I mean, let's put that into into a, a more modern day perspective. Use your imagination here. So let's just say my wife leads, you know, she leaves the house before I do, and she puts a note out, you know, that that morning and just says, uh, "Mike, take out the trash." Man, I can do that. <coughs> that's that's an easy list, easy uh, item on the honeydew list, right? I, I no problem. Boom, done. I can handle it. But let's just say that she includes multiple bullet points underneath that that command, right? What if she says, get all the cans in the house, empty them into the largest can that's in the in the kitchen, and take the bag out of the largest can, but tie the tie the bag first. Don't don't cinch the drawstrings, they're too weak. And don't do that little corner twist that you do with your fingers and then tie that in a knot. That just leaves a hole in the top. Remember to get any recyclables out before you tie it, and, and and I know you throw in your cans. You never recycle. You're such a center against global warming and saving the planet, okay? So take it to the recycling center, but not the one on Highway 161. They, they play devil music. Instead, take it out to Highway 5. Now, they're not going to help you, but at least they'll let you practice your recycling without persecution. Now, put them in the right bins, and it's clearly labeled which bins are for what. And break down your boxes. Don't put them in their hole. Be sure to empty them first in the in the household bin. But don't put that plastic bag in the recycle bin. And use the metal bin, but the one in the back. And don't take the oil today. They only pick that up twice a year. Love, Jill. Now, that is a ridiculous list. Hopefully, she's never going to leave me in a list like that. She never has before. It's just, Mike, will you take the trash? Boom, done. But if she added all those other things... Oh man, it, it would be it, it it would be tough to swallow. And what if she finished it? You know, love Jill. And I'm like, yeah, right. P.S. I'm going to the grocery store later. Leave me a list of what you want. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get her back on that one. That's for sure. Well, anyway, the Jews felt the way that I would feel if Jill left me that kind of note. They were worn out by these rules. They were inundated. They were. It, it was just too much, and that's why. We're told when John the Baptist was baptizing out in the wilderness that all of the Jews went out to see him. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. And they wanted to be right with God, and they were desperate. This was too much work. And then we're told in John chapter 6 that the crowd which was following Jesus, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They were desperate too. And the rich man in Luke 18, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to know. In Luke 10, the lawyer who knew the Mosaic law, he said, what must I do to be saved? He knew the law of Moses, but they were confused. They were, they were trapped. They were desperate and they were desiring to be right with God. So this beatitude, when Jesus teaches it, it's, it's going to answer that question. Answer the question that every single one of them would have asked him. What must I do to be right with God and gain eternal life? In other words, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Okay, so he comes to uh, his, his teaching. We get to Matthew 5, chapter 8. This is what it says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, keep in mind, we, we tend to measure our righteousness by comparing to others, right? That, that's not what God's standard was. In fact, if you skip down to verse 48, you're, you're going to find the standard. It says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa, well, wait a minute. Now, that's a steep requirement. You want me to be perfect. And I would tell you, God would say, yep, it, that's what I want you to be. Now, luckily, we don't have to come up with that on our own. God's going to make that way possible for us. So let's take a deeper dive into this verse. 
Okay, a deeper dive into this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That Greek word for pure is the word katharos, and it means literally to be clean, to be blameless, to be unstained from guilt because of your sin. Now, that meaning can refer specifically to, a, a, and is used to, to define a couple of other passages in, in the scriptures, like in Malachi, when um, the prophet's talking about the refiner's fire of the Messiah. And then in John 15, where Jesus is talking about pruning the branches, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. So for I do know this, for jewelry to be pure, it must be put through fire, right? The, the, they boil it and the impurities come to the top and they skim it off. And for I do know this too, a plant, if it's going to reproduce, if it's going to reproduce consistently and have good fruit, it's, it has to be pruned. So both of these, both of these ideas are, are kind of built into this word pure. And, and we know that jewelry doesn't, you know, purify itself and plants don't prune itself. It has to be done from an outside person doing that work. So you, you get where I'm going with this, right? So the Greek word for heart is kardea and it, it's translated in some places to mean the physical heart, but here Jesus is referring to the hub of a person's spiritual life. It's where our, our thoughts and our emotions and our wishes and our wants, it's where our will and, and our understanding is, our, 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 the thing that helps us to make our decisions, where our passions come from. It's the center of our being. So pure in heart means to be blameless in who we are. Not perfect in what we do, but perfect in who we are. Now listen to what GotQuestions.org says about this. Being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart towards God. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. The pure heart is marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. It's more than an external purity of behavior. It's an internal purity of soul. Man. I know the, the Jews in, in Jesus' day, they never heard teaching like that before. Their religious leaders didn't talk about that. They were so convinced that they needed to follow every rule, every law. And because of that, people were spiritually hopeless. I mean, they were depressed. I think they missed the point of the law in the first place. And the point of the law is to drive them to to the vine, pre the you know the vine dresser, to the jeweler, to the savior that would make them perfect in the sign, uh, you know, the sight of God. Well, this is why Jesus responded to that lawyer's question on what must I do to inherit eternal life from Luke ten. This is what he says. He said to him, "What is written in the law? How do you read it?" And he answered, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." And he said. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. At first glance, we think Jesus is driving the man to works. He's not. He's driving man, he's driving that man right back to the law of Moses, which have, should have driven him to the feet of the Father because it's impossible to do those things. Now, now what does this have to do with us today? Well, I mean, it has everything to do with us, just like it had everything to do with the Jews in the Jews' day. So forget the rules for a minute. Forget the efforts to which you, you know, you work so hard. Forget church and baptism, membership, saying your prayers, listening to Christian music. All those things are good. Yeah, they're all good, but none of them can make you a Christian. You want to be a Christian? You want to be right with God? You want eternal life with Christ? Here it is. 
Be perfect. Be perfect in who you are. Not what you do, but who you are on the inside. You want to be saved? You better have perfect motives, intentions, and thoughts. Perfect in mercy and forgiveness. Perfect in desires, passions, and emotions. And every person that's listening to this has the same response to this truth. I can't be perfect. If pure in heart means I stop sinning, I'm done. I am finished. And I would say you're correct. You are correct. Now what are you going to do about it? Remember, Beatitude 1 says, become poor in spirit. Cognitively see your despondent spiritual state and turn to God. Beatitude Beatitude 2 says, mourn over your sin. Have an emotional response to your sin-saturated self. And see how it hurts you and others and, and your relationship with him. And let that motivate you to grieve and turn to him in that grief. You see, you have to come to the conclusion that you can't do this alone. You have to turn to God. That was the point of the law. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Look, where, wherever you are, wherever you are on the rope of your life, count it to be the end of the rope and just let go. I mean, fall into the arms of God. Trust Him. He's going to save you. I know your question. Well, what if I sin again? Well, I mean, the if's not really in question, is it? You're going to sin again. Remember, 1 John was written for Christians. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're going to sin. Now, you're going to get better at avoiding temptation. The instances of that sin may may be further and further between, but you're still going to sin. I mean, look, you might be covered in the righteousness of Christ, but inside that sin, that sinful nature remains. This is the great duality of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. Listen to this. For I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul talking. For I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He's talking about sinning. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do is what I keep, I don't want to do is what I keep doing. Now, if if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who does, who does it, but the sin who dwells within me. So I find, in, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Then he gives an example. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul was jacked up. And you can be assured that you're jacked up too. Look, you're going to love the Lord. You're going to worship Him. You're going to do a lot of good things, but you're going to sin. You're going to hate it. You're going to beat yourself up for it. You're going to grieve over it, but you're going to sin. And when you do... Confess your sin to God. Repent from your sin and turn towards God. He will do his work. He's going to clean you up. Now, the temporary consequences may remain, but the the eternal ones are gone. They're just gone. Look, let, let me just confess something to you today. 
Let me just admit something to you. I hate saving seats at a packed event because my friends and my family are running late. And I have a big set of friends and a big family. Save me a spot. Save me a spot. I'm running late. Save me a spot. And then Jill and I are there. We're having to save 15 spaces between us. We sit on each end. We spread out all our stuff. You know, you got a coat. You got paper. You got the bullet. You got gum. Maybe a shoe. You got to have something in every seat. And you got to answer 5,000 times. No seats taken. No seats taken. No seats taken. Then they get there late and they can't find you. So they sit somewhere else and you look, end up looking like a jerk and a liar. Look, I'll tell my family now, it's just best to save your own seat. You can get there on time if you really want to be there bad enough. So save your own place. I would tell you, save your own place and except when it comes to heaven. Let me ask you something. Like the Jews, are are you trying to save your own space in heaven with God? Because if so, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get there. That destiny is not gained by your works. Even your righteous works. In fact, the destiny is not gained by law-abiding people at all. A heavenly destiny is only gained by those who are pure in heart. Only they and only they will see God. This is why David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Now you and I must trust in the sacrifice. We must trust in the ability of Jesus to save us. Ephesians 2.8 screams at us, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is God and God alone who can save your soul and save you a place in heaven. It is God who can purify your heart and put the righteousness of His Son over you so that God sees righteousness instead of what's inside your heart. Only God can do that. God and God alone. Will you trust Him today? Will you trust Him today to make your heart pure? It's the only way. It's the only way you can get to heaven. It's the only way you can have that consistent joy, that that uh, constant happiness that's going to be in heaven. It's the only way. He has to make your heart pure, and you can trust Him to do that today. If If that's you, and you want to do that, I just want to ask you to, to email me at mike at fbcclover.com. I want, to, I want to introduce Christ to you and start an online conversation with you. It's just me and you, and I want to lead you to Christ. He can purify your heart today. Well, I hope this has been beneficial for you. I've learned a lot about this this week. Next week, I'm going to come back with another teaching, another beatitude, and I hope you can join in then. But until then, have a great week. And remember, if you're walking with God, He is very much pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.